0: Hello, Cornellians. Thanks for joining us on the Fresh from the Hill podcast. I'm your guest host, Andrew Brady, class of 2010, and I'm excited to be here today with Drew Bonfiglio, class of 2003 and a co-founder and partner of MZingo, a people development company that, through social impact, inspires responsible leadership, prepares individuals to address global challenges, and connects business to society. Thanks for joining us today, Drew. Yeah, thank you for having me, Andrew. It's good to be here. So you actually uh, went in as, as an engineer. Uh, which is a little bit different than, I guess, the career path that you ended up taking. So I'd love to kind of just trace that for, for our audience. And and first, what was it that inspired you to uh, in, go to Cornell and, and apply as an engineer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my, my career arc certainly has has evolved, uh, you know, over the last uh, decade and a half plus. So uh, I guess, yeah, starting, starting with you know why Cornell? Uh, you know I grew up about three hours west of Cornell in in Jamestown, New York, which is you know small small town in you know, the the PA New York border, and so wanted to be like relatively close to home, uh, and was really you know good and interested in math and science, right? And so engineering felt like a natural fit early on to explore, uh, especially knowing that at Cornell I could I could come in and not necessarily know which uh, specific type of engineering, uh, and so. Uh, so that was kind of what what led me you know obviously the it's a it's a great school right like the reputation speaks for itself so you know there were some some obvious reasons but but where i 'm from and um and kind of my experience visiting campus ahead of time was uh was also a big part of the decision making um yeah and then once i was once I was there uh I took an intro to operations research and industrial engineering uh and and kind of got hooked i I really liked. Uh, I really liked the content, liked my professors and, you know, did some more research about what that that major would entail. And it was a nice mix of the technical engineering coursework that was part of my first couple of years and um, that all engineers were taking, you know, with requirements like accounting and uh, entrepreneurship and um, organizational behavior, right? And so I I think it felt a good fit for my my personality and, and interests.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind of a similar arc, actually. I, I similarly was only a couple hours away in Rochester. I found found like that couple hours, you know, was it was a good distance. You were far enough away that you felt independent, but you could go home if you had to, sort of a thing. But uh, actually, I I don't know if we ever have talked about this, but but I actually started in in engineering and and did uh, operations research as well, and then ended up shifting to the applied economics and management program. But uh, I, I'd be curious, as you were kind of exploring, are, were there any other, I don't know, memories that you had of, of your time in OR or at, at Cornell in general, kind of uh, favorite classes or professors or any, any other notable memories that stand out to you?
1: Yeah, you know, one when, when that comes to mind, you know, I mentioned entrepreneurship as a as a class. Like, I, you know, I became an entrepreneur, um, which was a very unexpected path for me because I, I grew up in a kind of pretty conservative mindset and um, neither of my folks went to to four year school, and so um, I guess not technically first gen, but it kind of kind of felt like it. And so my mentality was really like, okay, I'm going to an Ivy League school. I'm going to be in a really competitive engineering program. You know, go out, get a good job, right, and like make it make a decent living. Um, and so, you know, the entrepreneurship class for me really really stood out. Right, it was a different way of thinking, different way of experimenting. Uh, my myself and my uh, classmates worked on a project that, you know, we joke was, was the, uh, the iPod, <laughs> which some of the audience might not even know what the iPod is, but, um, <laughs> y- you know, and just had a lot of, a lot of fun doing it. And I, and I think, you know, may have subconsciously planted the, you know, the entrepreneurship seed. Uh, and then, you know, kind of came full circle because my professor, Professor Callister from entrepreneurship, uh, you know, this must have been 2002. Uh, you know, we are collaborating on a uh, an international uh, social impact program for engineers at Cornell. So it's been uh, like truly full circle.
0: Yeah, yeah, neat. I, I want to dive into that for sure and, and hear about kind of the the founding of Mzingo. But what did you do? Because I know that that wasn't the the first step that you took. So tell us kind of the the brief history of of the the first few years out of school.
1: Yeah. So immediately after uh, after graduating, I, I I think I started work like one or two days after graduation, uh, where I took an internship. It was actually in the construction industry, and at that time, I had the intentions of coming back to do my master's in engineering at Cornell. And you know, just a few weeks in, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time kind of reflecting and, and soul searching and realized like, okay, I'm not convinced a second engineering degree is what I want to do, nor is it going to provide the benefits of, you know, more student debt. <laughs> so, so I, I really was enjoying the work I was doing at this construction company. And um, the the division manager was a Cornell alum. And so had recruited a handful of folks over the years and, and felt like I started to have a little bit of a community there and had the opportunity to stay on full-time rather than just make it an internship. So uh, I decided to, to do that and, and not do the MN since I, I wasn't convinced, right? I wasn't feeling passionate and fired up about it. Um, but you know, I kind of relatively quickly, I guess, into that into that career, and maybe six eight months in, I really felt my, felt myself disconnected from the work, and it was about kind of turning out volume, right? How do we build the most houses so fast? And I, I, I you know, just it didn't feel right for me. I have a ton of uh, physical waste, right? Like all the waste from from building house, and and the mindset just for whatever reason, didn't, didn't really connect. And I, I don't think I would have articulated it that well at, at that moment, but I, but I just knew I was not happy, right? And um, so, so I, I started looking for a job and, and actually a couple of the women that were in my, my graduating class in operations research from the engineering school were part of this rotational leadership development program uh, with, with Lockheed Martin. And so uh, there was an opening. They encouraged me to apply, and uh, I got it, and and moved to Florida, and was working in aerospace and defense for the next four years, and and then, you know that's that's interesting because you know I say like construction didn't feel right, but like defense, you know, <laughs> um, and uh, and so it was also an interesting moment, and you know not to get too too steeped into history, right? But we were about uh, a year into um, you know the. Iraq conflict and you know started two thousand three spring um, and so there was a part of me that felt really patriotic because when I first got the role it was working on simulations and writing about protecting um, protecting U S soldiers and and looking for roadside bombs and and so it did it felt felt very 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 useful um, yeah you know, over time I, I I did get just disconnected you know, I felt even more disconnected. From, from the industry because there are other parts of the business and I ended up transferring into one of them that were, that, you know, weapons-based, right? And so it just wasn't aligned with my, my my values or or how they had kind of evolved and manifest themselves. Uh, however, you know, looking back and, and a big part of my, my personal journey was that during that time, uh, the leadership rotational program was just incredibly powerful, right? Kind of coming out of engineering, I felt... Very much like it was a focus on the technical and and not as much focused on personal development or reflection. And so that leadership piece and and, uh, just self-improvement had a a pretty profound impact on me. At the same time, because I was in the operations functional group, uh, I had a pretty cool opportunity and, and won a few awards for doing some sustainability work. Uh, and that was involved locally in uh, through Rotary International and other volunteer organizations. So, so the leadership, sustainability, and and kind of social community impact were all things I was doing on the side. And I just I said those are the things I really love. I want to do more of those. How do I bring them to be more of a central part of my work rather than on the periphery?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because as as you're talking, I'm thinking about you know, some of these little moments of, of dissatisfaction or, you know, feeling like you're a little bit out of alignment in terms of the purpose and the impact that you want to have versus the, the the path that you were on. Uh, was there any, was there any moment where you just, you know, decided enough was enough or was it kind of a slow accumulation over time when you decided I need to, you know, totally change direction? I,
1: I think it was more, more the latter where it was an accumulation of, of those things and, uh, you know, if 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 I'm, I think honest or at least reflective, looking looking back, there was a bit of fear, right? Like I had a good job, big company, pretty good pay. You know, it was it was a good setup in some of these traditional ways. Um, and going back to that mindset I, I mentioned when I was coming into Cornell, right? It felt like I had checked those boxes, and so um, so I think it was a slow accumulation because I in, in essence had to kind of, I think, build up the courage to take a, a different path and, and a non-traditional one. Is there anything, given
0: that, you know, many of our, our listeners are either current students or young alumni and and maybe feeling a little bit of that dissatisfaction themselves in, in the current career path that they're in or, or their chosen role to this point, is there any advice that you'd give them or, or guidance or, or some sort of, uh, you know, advice, I guess, just of of when to know when they should know that that it's time
1: yeah that's that's really interesting i I think you know it's so it's so personal. What I would say is first of all, just have that awareness right I, I think part of why I went from construction to defense and and you know lasted collectively across those two roles for five years. Is I, at that at that point in time, i I just wasn't as reflective as I have been ever since, right? And so although maybe I was having these feelings, I wasn't digging deep enough to really understand why and and kind of interrogate those in a in a way that would have you know led to to action, you know um, and so I, I would encourage just taking that time and, and those moments to to step back and reflect and think about where where you're at. Um, I think it's also important to to think about why you're having those feelings, right? And so for me, it was a values misalignment, which was something that was just not going to get fixed. But, you know, there is something to be said to you know, persevering and, and being resilient through tough times. And so I don't expect anybody to be happy all the time at work every single day or every single moment of every day, right? So uh, so I think also being, being aware of, of at least what you think is kind of driving some of that dissatisfaction because um, I, I think that, that understanding might might lead to a natural conclusion of, of you know, whether or not it's worth trying to, to to persevere through whatever the current challenge is.
0: Sure. So, so then you're feeling this dissatisfaction, you're feeling like there's gotta be some, you know, greater purpose for, for what you can do in your career. Um, tell us about, you know, the seed of, of this idea of MZingo. It says you're the co-founder. So were there, were there folks that, that you found that that had this idea or or how did this all kind of come into, into the world
1: yeah so so you know i had this feeling was trying to figure out what do i do with it right i'm i'm not satisfied i want some change what does that mean uh, i decided that the path for me was to go back to graduate school and so i went from aerospace and defense to do my to do my mba and so I thought grad school was a way for me to explore different opportunities and think about different career paths than, than the ones I had been on and ones that al- aligned better with values in the work that I thought I wanted to do, right? And so if you go back to like my application essays, a lot of them were focused specifically on, on leadership development, um, which you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have now you know, uh, had come to fruition. Um, and so, so I went to Spain to do my MBA at IE Business School in Madrid. And it was in 2008, right when many things were happening. The financial crisis was in full swing. You know, Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy the day after I got to to Madrid, um, and Obama was elected. You know, a couple months after I had arrived. So it was, it was there were a lot of things happening in the world, and I met uh, Ramon Marmolejos, who's uh, my my co-founder, uh, a couple months in, and. And he he's very entrepreneurial, very big picture, very strategic, brilliant guy. And uh, two of our classmates said, Hey, you guys, you know, you talk and think about a lot of the same stuff. You should you should connect. And and so we did. And you know, over over lunch and you know, in, in Spain, a, a caña, a beer, we were just brainstorming and talking about the things we, we cared about. And Ramon had kind of presented a very loose idea of well, how do we how do we how do we connect? business people with what's really going on in society and communities in a way that's going to help, you know, inspire them. And uh, yeah, IBM had just launched an international program for their employees called the corporate service Corps, where they brought people together uh, in international locations to do projects together as a kind of employee development and retention tool. And so we took that kind of example and and Ramon and my values and, and started to run with it, developing the idea uh, with a couple of classmates at first while we were in school.
0: Neat. Yeah. So I, I know that, uh, you know, you talk about leadership development and addressing global challenges and in the social impact that you're trying to have uh, for, for those that aren't familiar, tell us about what it, what it looks like to, to be in a, in one of your programs.
1: Yes. So I'll, I'll start kind of high level. Uh, MZO kind of does two things. So we work with, Uh, companies, uh, ideally purpose-driven organizations, uh, and do training, facilitation, and learning design. But historically, the bulk of our work has been on what we call Mzingo U, which is the the side of our business that works directly with with universities. And we co-create programs with different universities, including Cornell, that combine leadership development, training, coaching, and reflection with a real-world project where students work in teams with social entrepreneurs, environmental entrepreneurs, nonprofits, or small businesses uh, internationally. Uh, and so it's kind of this combination of real-world learning with leadership development and reflection, and then the cultural immersion is a, you know, is a natural outcome because of the international uh, part of the design. So where are
0: some of the places you go? I know that you, know, you and I had, had planned to be in, in January 2021 in, in South Africa with, with Professor Van es and some students. And, and you mentioned that you're doing a project with uh, Professor Callister as well. So where, where are some of the things that, places you've gone in, in the projects that you've worked on?
1: Yeah, so, so we work in a handful of, of locations where, where students would travel to, to participate in the programs. South Africa, obviously, Spain. Uh, the Netherlands in Amsterdam, which is where uh, Professor Callister and I were hoping to take students this past spring, uh, Peru, and Brazil. And we also do in, in inbound programs to the U.S. with a couple uh, international university partners. Oh, interesting.
0: All right, so I obviously, you know, we're kind of dancing around the fact that, that COVID is going on and probably changes a lot of things for anyone traveling, but especially a travel-heavy business. So how has how has covid uh impacted your business and just your life over the past several months
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's been very interesting for us it required a swift and at the same time thoughtful transition uh during the early day i'll, I'll call it the early days even though covid i guess had existed for a few months by february we had I don't know 40 plus students between Spain and South Africa in person and, and had to move quickly and immediately and, and my, my, my team members who were running those programs did an amazing job, and we basically just focused on two things: how do we keep everybody learning and how do we keep everybody safe and we managed to have people continue to work on the, the projects that they were doing with you know, entrepreneurs and small businesses while traveling all over the world back to where they were from uh, or their the, you know the, the university where they were studying. Um, and so that was that was phase one and and the snowball effect continued. We had to essentially convert everything that was supposed to be you know an in-person experiential travel-based program to uh to being 100 percent online. And uh you know it, it felt a little bit daunting at first but our team has been remote since our inception. So for us as a team not much changed. It was just a matter of thinking about how do we create connection how do we create impact? How do we create, uh, you know, a reasonable experience when you're on Zoom all the time uh, for for students and for all the project partners who are who are working with us? Uh, and so we were able to successfully do that, and I think had uh, I don't know something like 175 or so students between May and July participate in these project-based learning uh, programs 100% virtually. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, pivoting like, like all entrepreneurs must, uh, but especially the pivots in the last few months have been uh, a little bit extra. Just a quick kind of sidebar, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking maybe you'd have some some advice, again, for, for those young alumni that are out there that maybe they're just starting to figure out this work from home thing. Uh, is there any advice that you'd give, either individually, kind of for your own well-being and your own routine? and or for kind of leading a virtual team what are some of the things that that maybe maybe those that are newer to it should be should be thinking about or practicing
1: yeah absolutely so i would say i'll, I'll take this from a team perspective first our team has has a check-in every time we have a meeting and when i say check-in that is a some sort of personal checking kind of around the, around the room or around the zoom call, right. Where, you know, we get a chance to remind ourselves that, that, that we're human and that we're people and that we care about each other, even if uh, we're miles apart and the things we're doing with our, our clients and participants are, um, are also not there. Um, we've, we've also shifted and, and this has actually happened recently since we, uh, finished running a lot of the, our student programs is created blocks every day where everybody can just work together online, even if you're not all working on the same thing. But just so that kind of creates a, a a sense of of community and an opportunity to you know, bounce each other bounce bounce things off of each other and uh, ask questions or or co-design things depending on the nature of the projects. And uh, and so we've found just having that time and space where we all overlap. Uh, especially when there's there's nine hours of difference across our team in time zones uh, has been uh, has been a nice and, and welcome change um, yeah personally I, I think really just acknowledge that things are different and figure out what you need to do to stay healthy and productive and sometimes that might mean. Yeah, an hour break walking the dog for me in the middle of the day that I I probably wouldn't have taken eight months ago, you know, um, or you know going for a run at you know nine p.m. just because I need to get out and and um, you know do so in a in a time where I'm I'm going to run into fewer people and and kind of can safely in, in, enjoy myself and unwind in that way. Um, so so I think just just acknowledging that and and trying to figure out what are some of those small things that that, you know, work for you has been really important for for each of our team members. Yeah. You're mentioning
0: kind of some of those check-ins and, and I I think it's so interesting, you know, sometimes we reflexively when we meet someone or or see someone, it's like, Hey, how you doing? And it's, Oh, good. How are you? And and it's just kind of without even thinking about it. And I've been trying, I don't know about you, but I've been trying to actually get people to dig into that a little bit more these days, right? (laughs) Like, like, no, how are you actually doing? I actually want to know like how you're holding up. And, and, you know, I, I hope anyways, because, you know, being, being a little bit more human at work uh, and, and, you know, sometimes you see somebody's dog or, or kid jump up on their lap or something like that, you know, I think it humanizes us to each other a little bit. It's not just the checking who you are at the door and, and being a, a robot while you're at work. And, and I hope at least a little bit of that sticks around, you know, that, that we are human beings and, and we are, you know, a holistic person and, and our holistic well-being is really important to uh to the functioning of our of our organization and to our productivity and to our in the long term our, our happiness too
1: yeah 100 i i did um I'll, I'll call it a blog post on linkedin but it felt a little bit more like a stream of consciousness on a same thing i was like does well how are you still matter when we're back to normal you know because right now people actually care right they they actually want to know and and this was i don't know must have been like april when things were we're still new and people were figuring out what the heck was going on. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm on board, man. And, and it, it, it just matters so much when, when you know other people care about you. And um, I think, well, both you and I working, you know, in the conscious capitalism, B Corp space, uh, I think probably get a, you know, have a, a unique perspective because a lot, at least a lot of the folks I interact with kind of naturally do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's what I wanted to dive into next is just to hear a little bit. I know that you're very involved in B Corps in addition to, you know, being a B Corp yourself, but but also just you're trying to work with organizations that that have a more purposeful type of a mission in terms of your clients. When you're working with with students, it's oftentimes doing different kinds of social entrepreneurship projects. So there's really kind of impact baked in to, to a lot of the work that you do but tell me a little bit about how you became familiar with b corps and decided to to make Mzingo a b, b corp
1: yeah so so I, I guess maybe andrew would it be helpful i just get a quick overview of sure. what is a b corp yeah um so yeah so, so for those who don't know uh there, there's a, a third-party certification where you can become a, a certified B Corp. Uh, there's a nonprofit called B Lab, and they run this impact assessment. And essentially, a company goes through this uh, assessment to get the certification, and they measure you on your performance for community impact, environmental impact, governance, customers, how you treat your employees. And so it's really a, a holistic and, and to be honest, quite difficult assessment to go through, and if you get a minimum score, you can get certified. Um, I won't I won't bore everybody with with a lot of details, but there's a, a separate thing <laughs> that is called a benefit corporation, which is a legal structure that is determined by by states, right? So um, it, it it can get a little confusing, but but essentially, it's a company that. You know has a purpose beyond making profit, right? And they balance those those different things. And so uh the B Lab launched maybe two years before Mzingo started. And we were in Spain when we started and and working internationally for a while after after Mzingo first launched. So it took us a couple of years actually before we really got engaged in and understood what it was all about. Um and and as soon as we did, we were we were totally on board because the the mission for business to be a force for good was what it was exactly what we were hoping to do through equipping individuals you know with the skills and mindsets of responsible leaders Uh, and so uh so we got certified in uh, 2014 or 2015 and then uh soon thereafter i started the local chapter be local boston uh where where i was living uh and it's just um you know a working group of certified B Corps that are trying to uh, create impact and uh, connect to each other and and have a positive, um, yeah, positive impact across the board in our in our region.
0: Yeah, and and you mentioned you know some of the ways that there's a lot of different ways to measure. Um, you know, some companies really subscribe to that triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. Uh, there's there's the B Impact Assessment. There's Conscious Capitalism. There's like the best companies to work for. To to measure things there's all different kinds of sustainability measures and and really i think no matter no matter what you choose uh you know it's a positive step in in the direction to to have more than just your your bottom line profits as one of the things that you're measuring right you got to measure what matters and you want to have those really on your dashboard of, of something that that you are aiming for because profits just because of the easiest thing to measure doesn't mean that should be the only thing that you measure and and really what it, what the research has shown is that Any number of those metrics in the long run, those companies end up making a lot more money too, right? And and, and the B impact assessment is probably the most comprehensive of of all all of those measures. Uh, And and they really show, you know, back when there was the financial crisis you, you mentioned, you know, from gosh, now 12, 13 years ago. Uh, you know, many of those companies struggled, but they also bounced back a lot quicker because all of those companies that were saying, "Oh well, our people are our most important asset," and you know, all the saying all the right things in the good times. Uh, but then, when times were tough, if the first thing that you do is try to cut headcount or or you know, lay people off for whatever, people yeah. feel that you know they 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 feel what what you what you're doing, uh, and, and they they're noticing that lack of alignment. And and so when instead you really double down on those conscious capitalism principles or those B, B Corp type of principles in the tough times, uh, that often leads to then when, when things start to look up again, a, a company that really knows now, no, they really mean this, that they really care about us and they care about the planet. And so I, I'm curious, you know, again, because we're in another kind of unprecedented times and, and crises uh, on, on multiple different levels, what have you seen in terms of, you know, your work with other B Corps or, or yourself? In terms of some of their responses to, to COVID, have they been able to uh, weather the storm any better or or differently? What is what has it been like in the B Corp community lately?
1: Yeah, I I think that I, I, I agree with with everything that you said and all of those observations. And you know, I can I'll try to not speak for all B Corps everywhere. Uh, obviously, that would that wouldn't be fair. But I think what I've seen is an incredible amount amount of resilience and. I think a lot of it comes from purpose, right, and knowing that the organization exists for more than just you know a paycheck, right, and so that manifests itself in a number of ways. Uh, you know, the companies treating people like people, right, and and showing people that that they care, even even if hard decisions have to be made. Just the how, how like matters, right? Like it could it could really devastate a business whether you're a B Corp or not. But the way people try go through that process is even is even different right so so even even things aren't going well from a business perspective i think there's a difference in in the the way that you know a customer supply chain uh partners you know for that are working with b-corps would would feel Um, and i think for me there's an obvious example I'm, i'm doing a project currently with a renewable energy company with a focus on solar in in new england and um, you know i 've did a survey with you know eighty plus people and, and another twenty five one on one interviews and it has just been incredible to hear you know, how positively they're talking about the way the organization managed this not perfect by any means, but they I think especially in this industry recognize that other companies that do construction right which is what a lot of solar is, did not treat their employees the way that that this company uh, treated treated their their employees and their customers, and so those uh, those are really inspiring. I'd say the other thing is both B Lab and the the B Corp community in general has just really made a lot of um, I don't know progress maybe is not the right word, but they there has been a lot of emphasis and focus on uh, Jedi works you know justice equity diversity and inclusion over the last few months, and, and people mobilized quickly. And, and um, that has come in the form of educational opportunities, of donations, of, uh, you know, statements. And I know we have to kind of take that with a grain of salt and continue with action over time. Uh, but I've, I've just been um, impressed and in, and in some ways overwhelmed with the amount of energy that has shifted to, to, to the topics that have really come to the forefront during the last six months.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up uh, because I remember seeing a few years ago there was a Harvard study that got a lot of publicity that showed basically that there was uh, among millennials um, many of them didn't believe that capitalism was the best way to to organize our economy and our society. And uh, you know, I think that certainly in its current iteration, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree. But I do think that the the principles of that kind of market driven innovation kind of dynamism can be balanced with a more uh, egalitarian and and you know equality and and equity and, and those sorts of those sorts of principles and, and finding that that kind of dynamic balance uh, is is an important thing. How do you see um, you know the, the future? Certainly, because this this study was was several years ago, and I think that the disillusionment with with business and with capitalism has probably only grown since. How do you see the the future? can can capitalism survive? Can it be reformed or or, or what do you see as the role for kind of business in society?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really timely uh, conversation, not just because of the state of the world, but in I think uh, t- approximately two weeks is the fiftieth anniversary of Milton Friedman's article in The New York Times that talks about uh, shareholder primacy and and um, this this focus on um, providing shareholder value. And then, you know, that it kind of trickles down. That's that's the only, uh, that's the way society gets benefit, right? And so, um, with, with that as the backdrop of, for September, I've been thinking about this a lot. And so, you know, in the 50 years or so since that article came out, right, like a lot of people have, uh, you know, no longer been in poverty, have have got jobs. But but I think, you know, if you look at the data now, and and, you know, of course, during COVID, when especially before people were leaving their house at all. Yeah. There was a lot of looking on Twitter and and a lot of looking on Facebook and a lot of people seeing, seeing the data. And um, you know, just when you look at the inequities um, you know, between the wealth gap, right. Like something's not working and, and the system is, design the way it's designed and it works for some people, but not for everybody. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I am certainly a bit of an optimist and, and maybe sometime that's a little naive, but I think that we're, we're primed for change. And, and I, and I think that there's, people want it to be binary, but I, I think what, what we need to say is like business can do good, but it's, uh, but how we do it matters. Right. And so it's not like, Oh, either pro business or not pro business or, uh, pro-business versus or, or, or government support, right? It's not, that's that's not a choice. That's not the actual choice that we need to make. So, um, so I'm hopeful that we can kind of redesign what capitalism looks like so that it works for, I mean, ideally everyone, but just works better for more people at a minimum. And I'm stealing this language, you know, from Rockefeller Foundation and from B-Lab, but, but, but Mzingo has integrated into this, our lexicon, right? This idea of working towards uh, a more inclusive and regenerative economy. And uh, that you know is still part of what we're working for. You know, one program at a time, or whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah, it's a great point, and I think you know there's a lot of talk about going back to normal, and, and in a lot of ways, shame on us if we go back to to what normal used to be because it wasn't working for so many people. Uh, you know, and you hope that you can use use this crisis as a way to just reconsider some of the, the ways that we, we set up our, our economy and our society to to yes find a find a you know some, somewhat more normal I think than than we are now but certainly we, we would hope that it'd be a a better normal a more inclusive normal as we're as we're trying to push forward collectively and so that really resonates and and, and one of the things that, that I wanted to kind of hear from you is for those again the young alumni that are listening and and maybe are are feeling disillusioned and maybe maybe they don't want to follow the entrepreneurial journey but they are looking to, to work for a company that is more purpose driven. Um, any advice to them? Because I think one of the struggles sometimes is is there is this kind of greenwashing uh, or or, or purpose washing even where where the company puts the great page on their website about all of these. These high-minded purpose-driven principles that they that they stand for. And then it takes about a week of work in there to figure out that they don't really live them. So any advice for, for those that are looking for a more purposeful career to actually find a company that that really lives what it says?
1: Yeah, I, I do. And the first thing I'll say, Andrew, before I answer your question directly is, you know, I think also having a little, a little humility and not you know, being so enthusiastic that I'm blind to the imperfections of, you know, purpose-driven companies and and B Corps, right? Like there, there are not, not everybody's doing everything perfect, right? We, we use these plum organic pouches for our kids and they're in these little plastic containers. like, that is not good for the world, right? And so we're, we're, we're we're not perfect, right? And so the idea is we need to be working on this journey to get to a point where we're just continuously getting better, right? And so, uh, so I think that's important from a, from a job hunting perspective and relevant to your your question to to, to talk more directly to it uh, b- because you know to be to be expecting perfection across everything um when it comes to you know the way the organization operates is is i think unrealistic right an organization still made up of people and people are not perfect right so so i think that that's just you know good to have in the back of your mind but in terms of you know filtering through you know i i'm clearly biased, right? But I, I think that uh, the the B Corp community from my personal experience is a great place to start. And from everything that I know, which right I haven't worked at all of these companies, but you know, from everything I know, it are just operating differently. And and for me that's that's always a, a great place to start. Um, I, I think also what's what's interesting and, and there's kind of a broader movement is looking at the Bigger companies, right? So, if you do want a more traditional path, there are a lot of bigger companies like uh, Unilever, like Danone, who have been buying up uh, B Corps, right? They've been acquiring them and they have them as wholly owned subsidiaries or whatever the case may be. Um, And so, although maybe they look different depending on where you're at in the organization, they at least are on that journey, right? And so, I I think if you're looking for a different path than uh, B Corps, which for the most part, like, are more medium sized or or smaller. Uh, you know, you you do have have the Unileaders, the Denons, uh, Campbell Soup of the world that have invested in in companies that they see as the future.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it, it is interesting to see some of the the traditional players starting to have their their eyes open to this this new way of doing business, and and hopefully, certainly, uh, you know, when they buy that company first of all, they let the company maintain many of those, those kind of conscious or, or, or B Corp type of principles. Uh, and, and then hopefully some of it starts to filter into the rest of the organization. I think that that kind of evolution um, of those large companies, Unilever is a great example of, of you know, starting to bring this on a, on a larger scale. It'll be ex- exciting to see how that happens. Uh, somehow, we're uh, I, I feel like I could talk to you all day, but uh, <laughs> somehow we're, we're, we're running short on time. And so I, I kind of just wanted to wrap up. Because we're talking about measurement of, you know, measuring companies and, and how to, you know, see if they, if they clear the bar of a B Corp or, or any of these purpose-driven metrics. But I'd be curious to hear how you kind of measure yourself. You know, how do you measure success? Because many of us, um, again, if they're the, these young alumni that are listening and maybe they're, they're deciding between two job offers or they're just about to graduate and, and in a similar spot. And sometimes it's tough to not just say, oh, well, here's the here's the bigger number. Uh, you know, here's the bigger salary. I'm going to, I'm going to go towards that. So what are some of the ways that you measure success and and maybe use that as a way to kind of advise some of the, some of our young alumni in terms of helping to integrate some of these principles and and live them as more of a purpose-driven leader?
1: Yeah. So, so for me, you know, in terms of measuring, measuring success, I think going through that early part of my career where I felt a lot of dissatisfaction Uh, To me, waking up every day and being excited to go to work has been the motivating factor. You know, when we started Mzingo, it was still the financial crisis, right? It was still a recession, uh, really kind of across the globe. And uh, it was risky, much riskier than anything I'd ever done professionally up until that point. But through reflection, through my time in grad school, I just realized that I wanted to do something that that mattered and something that, you know... in, in one way or another had was bigger than, than myself or my own kind of personal, personal goals. Um, and so, so that matters a lot, but I, you know, if I I do different lectures or talks or whatever, one of the, one of the things that comes up is following passion. And, and I, I think that you have to, to put that in context, right? Cause some people might need to take care of a sick parent or have a lot of student debt, um, or, uh, you know, just feel like they're trying to do something different than what they studied in undergrad, and so it's okay to make the wrong decision. You can always switch, right, and um, it's, it's not the end of the world, so, so I think part of my advice is don't put this immense pressure on yourself to find the perfect purpose-driven job um, immediately, right? Like, think about what's most important to you, where you want to be, what kind of culture, what's the type of salary that is required and, and some of these different dimensions then, and, and, and find the right balance for you because there's not a one size fits all. And, and through our work, with Zingo, I mean, we're talking to hundreds of students each year and these are the exact questions and each of them has a different answer, right? Some of them end up starting their own social enterprises. Uh, one is you know, doing a financial inclusion project in Africa. Another went to McKinsey. Right, and, and for different reasons. And, and so um, I think just being thoughtful about it, being intentional, and being explicit about why is, uh, is helpful as helpful uh, as any other advice I could think of.
0: That's perfect. Yeah. I think the, the intention or, or, or the consciousness of, of making those decisions and, and just reflecting on, you know, sometimes that, that old old saying of begin with the end in mind, right? So so think about where you want to think about where you want to be at the end of your career or even at the end of your life and, and what kinds of what kinds of decisions should should you make to, to move in that direction. So so thank you for kind of just sharing your own story. Uh, thank you as well for kind of starting to to build some future conscious leaders and social entrepreneurs through some of the treks. So if, if there's any current students listening, certainly see if you can find an MZingo uh, class to, to be able to go on a trek with Drew. Um, or maybe if you're a, a young alumni, you can weasel your way into being a, uh, you know, to go along like, like I, I did. Finding uh, finding it, find it a way to, to 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 join one of those treks as well. So I, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to to joining you on that. But also just I, I just wanted to thank you both for your time, but even more importantly for the work that you're doing each and every day to really elevate the the consciousness of of businesses and business leaders around around the world. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: And, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Fresh from the Hill, inside stories of noteworthy Cornellians. Music for Fresh from the Hill was created by Kia Elkertson-Rogers, class of 2013. You can contact him at koa3 at cornell.edu. To learn more about the Young Alumni programs and how to stay connected to Cornell, visit our website, alumni.cornell.edu slash youngalumni.